very warm welcome to our latest Generation podcast. Indeed, those of you who are uh, frequent flyers with us will have noticed that we've been off the air for a few months. So that was series one, is now over, and this is series two. So Generation is the podcast where we talk about mission largely from a Scottish perspective. Uh, when I say a Scottish uh, perspective, most of our guests are based in Scotland, although occasionally we do go global. We go uh, over the many borders that this world has to offer. Uh, thanks for sticking with us, stick with Generation Podcast, tell other people about it. Today, uh, again, we have a return guest. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Alistair Wilson. Uh, Alistair teaches uh, here at Edinburgh Theological Seminary. Uh, he teaches mission studies. He also teaches New Testament. Uh, good morning, Alistair. A very warm welcome. Hi, David. Thank you very much. Nice to be back with you. And uh, yeah, pleasure. Yeah, just to get some orientation, I think we first got to know each other, I was thinking that this morning, when you were 17 years of age, um, do you remember that? <laughs> it's, it's getting a stretch of memory, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember being a biker at those, in those days and uh, um, meeting at a, uh, at a prayer meeting, I suspect, was the, the first time that uh, we had a chance to meet. So yeah, um, long time ago. Yeah, I mean, then you, you you also drove a Fiat Panda, and you, you were a tra- you you were a trainee accountant, and I was yep. a, a slim, dark-haired young minister, and you attended absolutely. Christian, and of course, I taught you all that you know about New Testament. So, indeed, uh, indeed, uh, sat at the feet of the master. So um, yeah, it was <laughs> it's it's funny the um, the the way that time passes and the recollections, but. Uh, yeah, every now and again, I I reflect on those days, and uh, I'm thankful for them. Uh, they were good days, and uh, it was a, a real blessing to be part of the early days of the Smithton Church. Then, uh, very, um, I have memories of sitting in the the school chairs in the in the gym hall in uh, Duncan Forbes Primary School, and uh, really appreciating that. I learned a lot from your own ministry and from being part of that church context. Yeah, well, we we appreciate that. Um, I often think of you know yourself and James Eglinton, both of you who have gone on to postgraduate studies. James, of course, is a leading Basing scholar. You uh, went into New Testament. Can can we just I mean tease out some stuff? Um, you your ministry has has really been been quite diverse, but it's it's landed up. Um, I think in, in quite a sweet spot for you uh, in, in the intersecting worlds of biblical studies and mission. Mm. Um, just, just very briefly, do you think that's a sweet spot? I do. Uh, this is a this is a terrific um, opportunity, uh, a lovely context in which to work. Uh, ETS, uh, a heritage that uh, I have benef- benefited from as a student. And uh, then being able to to come back uh, in a teaching role, um, Edinburgh just such a, a rich uh, environment for theological study and also for mission studies. All of these kind of uh, connections with the history of mission, the Edinburgh nineteen ten conference, and then uh, in the contemporary world, the the work going on. A new college uh, with Andrew Walls and then Brian Stanley and then um, my colleagues Emma and uh, Alex, uh, who are now directing that. 
there's a real sense of an academic buzz, but also a global perspective. And uh, it's a, and yet also in, in ETS, a distinctively confessional and evangelical perspective. So that whole combination is really very enriching. And uh, I enjoy the fact that I can continue to be engaged in exegetical work at the same time as working on mission history and contemporary issues of contextualization and such like. That that engagement with the text keeps me rooted and uh, keeps me asking what biblical texts and what biblical principles apply uh, to our mission thinking. So yeah, terrific Terrific place to be, and uh, very thankful for the way things have worked out. Yeah, we, we, we're first of all, excuse me for for sneezing. I've got a bit of a cold. One of the problems of videos is that everything's exposed. To, but we are where we are. We're actually broadcasting from the same building today. Um, it's a bit of upstairs, downstairs. Um, Alistair is very much upstairs. Can you talk a little bit about Mission Centre, Alistair? Um, I think a lot of folk really don't know what goes on in the walls of, of Edinburgh Theological Seminary. The mission centre is physically located right up at the top. Um, I'm interested especially, let's talk first of all about your master's programme. And can you comment a little bit on the sort of subjects, the, the sort of thesis subjects that some of your students are engaged in? We don't want to name names, but we, we yeah. I'm interested in the broad range of subjects. Yeah. So um, the the notion of the Centre for Mission um, is quite a, a broad concept. It um, it originated with my colleagues here in uh, in ETS long before my own involvement. Um, but uh, Scotland's always had a, a place for mission training, um, mission education, and uh, many people will associate that with um, Glasgow Bible College, which became eventually international. Christian College. And uh, when that college ceased to uh, operate in the in the way it once had, um, my colleagues reflected on that and thought, I wonder whether um, ETS could make some provision in that and do something along the lines of what um, International Christian College had done in terms of connecting the academic with the work of mission and ministry um, in the wider world. So that that's where the idea came from. And the idea would be that there would be a, a, a range of uh, areas of uh, influence under the banner of the Centre for Mission. And that would include uh, providing uh, people in the churches with mission education, uh, with understanding of their part in God's mission, wherever they are. It would involve connecting with uh, our student body and uh, giving them a mission perspective on their studies. It would involve um, connecting with serving missionaries, uh, however broadly or narrowly we might define that, but people engaged in mission one way or another and providing them with opportunities either for refreshment if they are um, on home assignment uh, for international missionaries or perhaps opportunities for further study, um, reflection, that kind of thing. And then we wanted to have uh, a formal academic programme that would focus on mission. So those are the, the kind of um, vision uh, aspects uh, for the centre. In terms of the master's programme, um, we've uh, been running that now for three years 
And uh, it's been a very encouraging part of my work. In fact, it's one of the, the real highlights uh, to be working with the students. Um, it's a, a taught master's in missiology, um, although taught in a different way from how it might be envis envisaged, in that it's not primarily classroom-based. Uh, we have seminars and we do work through some material together. But to a large extent, students are given freedom uh, over a series of essays and then a longer dissertation to work on topics that would be of particular value or of particular interest to them. So it's a really flexible uh, program. It allows uh, students to have a measure of structure. We have categories like uh, Bible uh, uh, and uh, theology and mission. Um, history of mission, which is, uh, I suppose, fairly self-explanatory. Current issues in mission, which is a, a very broad range of uh, topics. It could be globalization, it could be migration, it could be theology of religion, um, it could be all kinds of different uh, issues that are, are pressing in on uh, the church and on mission uh, workers today. And then the final area would be um, mission into the 21st century, where the emphasis is more on how we look towards the future. So that would include things like reflecting on uh, mission in a digital age, uh, training of uh, mission workers, um, views of how member care is carried out, how we look after uh, members, how we ensure that there's not uh, a loss of serving missionaries. And so in terms of the, um, the topics that people have covered, there's been a whole array uh, because there's a lot of flexibility. And so um, just a few examples. Um, one, um, one student looked at uh, the question of how mission is carried out under um, lockdown conditions and uh, in a COVID-19 environment and how that might have implications for ongoing mission. Um, a number of students have looked at the idea of a missional hermeneutic. Uh, what does it mean to read the Bible uh, through the lens of mission, asking questions about what the whole Bible, not just certain texts, has to say on mission. Uh, some have looked at uh, the theology of mission, the role of the Holy Spirit, a Trinitarian understanding of mission, that kind of thing. Um, others have uh, looked at specific issues that relate to their own uh, particular context. Um, one student has done work on uh, the uh, place of women in the history of mission. Uh, some have done uh, work on uh, Islam. Uh, one student has uh, done work on uh, beauty as a missional concept. And so a whole array of um, material working with a whole array of different uh, authors from different parts of the world. So yeah. it's always invigorating to, to read that yeah. material. Is there any way the, the Mission Centre could uh, even like do little video clips or, or publish some of this stuff? You need to get the permission of some of your students, but you know some of these topics sound really fascinating and I, I would love to access some of that thinking. So have you thought about how the Mission Centre can maybe get some of this thinking, you know, from from Guardian Telegraph level down to Daily Mail level? Sure. Um, so certainly um, the more that I, 
I'm working with students, the more that I'm seeing the kind of work that they're doing. Um, there's some outstanding work and it's it's definitely the kind of material that would be valuable for others to, to read. Um, challenge is often a, a matter of time and fitting everything in. But what I have been doing actively is uh, encouraging students where they've done a particularly uh, strong piece of work uh, academically, but also in terms of communication. Uh, I've suggested that they might uh, publish an article. Um, so again, it might not get uh, quite the, the level of exposure that, uh, that we might want, but at least it becomes something that's not hidden away on a hard disk, but uh, is given public exposure. And a number of uh, students have been uh, thinking or actively submitting work for publication in journals and uh, such like. The other thing that can be done um, in a much more uh, general sense is to publish online. Um, so whether that's uh, done through a blog or whether it's done through, uh, again, more formal structures for online writing. Uh, I've been encouraging students to be thinking how they can share what they're doing. In terms of videos, uh, I think that um, that is uh, definitely uh, a way that we can be looking to, to develop in the future. Uh, not everybody feels uh, comfortable in front of a video, and certainly I can empathise with that experience. But um, I think that you're right, that short videos um, where there's a personal engagement with um, with an individual as well as with idea is a, is a really helpful uh, way to go. So I'll be looking at that. Uh, I would love to see uh, some of the work that's been done here get that wider exposure yeah. um, and it's definitely on the to-do list. Okay, um, just this week, in fact, yesterday, you know, we're talking about theology and, and the academy. Uh, yesterday, I heard of a new book that's been released on Christology, um, and it's written largely from an African perspective. I think you've got some involvement in that. Can you comment on that, uh, the genesis of, of that volume and how useful it would be for the UK church? Sure. Um, the the volume, um, Who Do You Say That I Am?, um, is one of a series of volumes uh, that has come out of an organisation called ASET, A-S-E-T, uh, which is the Africa Society of Evangelical Theology. And that um, scholarly body, that, uh, that uh, theological society, um, is rooted in Africa. Uh, it meets typically in Nairobi in Kenya. And uh, in March 2020, just before the world uh, came into a, a very different uh, period, uh, I had the chance to travel to Nairobi and present a paper um, on uh, Jesus as the Lord of Mission, uh, engaging with um, a couple of uh, distinguished African theologians, um, Kwame Bidiako and John Mbiti, and uh, I used their words and their ideas as a starting point for considering Jesus as the Lord of Mission. Um, also drew in a little bit of J.H. Bavinck, um, so some Dutch uh, missiology as well as the African. So that uh, the um, series has been running for a number of years. Uh, this is uh, certainly, um, I can't remember, is it the fifth or the sixth uh, volume or perhaps even more, but it's certainly um, one of several. 
And typically, those who were presenting at the conference uh, were based in Africa, either in Kenya itself or in other parts of Africa. I made a lot of friends uh, from uh, from Kenya, but also from South Africa and other uh, locations. And uh, yeah, it was a real blessing to be part of that. I think um, that so often, just for geographical reasons, um, we live our lives uh, and the, the massive information that we could engage with, we live our lives uh, fairly uh, constrained by certain existing connections. And I found that to go to a theological conference uh, in Nairobi was hugely enriching. Uh, I met mostly people that I had not met at any other theological conference um, in the UK or in the States. It was a different constituency. And uh, it opened up opportunities for conversation, for thinking about questions that people were raising there. So this volume, um, it, it is a, a set of academic papers. So uh, in a sense, then um, that is probably going to appeal particularly to those who would uh, read theological writings anyway. But I think it's a really helpful uh, way of engaging with um, the ideas of evangelical African uh, theologians. Uh, many of these people will not be household names to um, the folks that uh, we are rubbing shoulders with day to day. And so just to expose ourselves to different voices, to hear what people are saying, these folks are uh, distinctly evangelical uh, from a range of theological traditions, but um, confessing evangelicals, uh, and would um, therefore work with principles of scriptural authority and the uh, centrality of uh, Jesus as the crucified and resurrected Lord. And with these frameworks um, in place, we have common ground, but also a very different experience and different questions that come to mind when we do theology. So I think it would be uh, Perhaps a challenging read uh, if you weren't used to theological studies, but an interesting read. And uh, it would be a great way of engaging with that wider um, world of African theological thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a couple of scenes in my mind just now. One is having dinner with a Presbyterian pastor and his family in a suburb of Johannesburg. And the guy is, you know, really, really poor. He's got five books, five or six books. Um, I mean, behind me, behind you, we've got we we've got mm. quarries of of books, you yep. know. And if you go into an American pastor's office, he'll just have an office for his books alone. You know, we are wealthy. Mm. Can can you you know, or, or if I go to the Eastern Cape and I talk to you know some of the pastors there in, in the villages and in, in Transkei, um, can you tell me how thinking you know as demonstrated in this book in Christology? is eventually helpful to these guys on the, the rock face of, you know, a shanty town, a slum, or a rural village? I think the, the core of theology is how we understand who God is, what he has done, and how we are called to relate to him. So in some senses, those life-giving uh, aspects of scriptural truth and um theological thought are going to be uh, transformational in any context. The, the question often is, as you say, 
how do we get um, to the place where we can provide access to um, creative thinking, to accurate thinking um, on the Bible, on theology for people with very limited resources and also in a way that is relevant to their particular setting that deals with the kind of issues that they're dealing with, that asks the kind of questions that they're asking in their kind of language. So the, the volume that we've been talking about is uh, published by uh, Langham Publishing. And uh, I've uh, mentioned Langham in conversations before, but uh, a hugely valuable and important uh, ministry. And one of the, the things that they have made a distinctive of their work is to give an opportunity for people from the majority world who are um, developing as writers, who are developing as thinkers, to have a, a forum for publication. And that provides uh, volumes then, which are written within the context of uh, African uh, theological discussion and society, with all the diversity that that involves from different parts of Africa, from different African nations and cultures and contexts, but a, a distinctly African uh, set of questions and agendas that are available then for pastors in these particular areas. And Langham also um, has worked hard to make those kinds of resources affordable. Um, so working in partnership with African publishers and with uh, local distributors, um, they will uh, provide resources for the church in the majority world at a price that we wouldn't typically be able to, to access books in the West. And then on top of that, the, there is a, um, a commitment to providing resources for theological colleges. So when I was at Dumasani Theological Institute in uh, the Eastern Cape of South Africa, we would get an annual grant uh, from Langham of literature, some uh, literature of their own, much of it at that stage coming from Western authors, um, but solid evangelical uh, writers who the, the grant would allow us to put each year a number of books into our library, which would then provide for uh, people in training. And we would then try and make that as accessible as possible to pastors and uh, those who are working in our region. Now what Langham are able to do more and more is point people not simply to Western authors um, who can be brought uh, or their books can be brought into uh, Africa or elsewhere, but to authors from Africa and Latin America and Asia who are writing their own work and uh, that's now available for these pastors. So it's an ongoing problem. Uh, resources are limited and we certainly have such riches in our particular context, but I'm thankful to see ways in which those opportunities for thought and for reading and for learning are being made available. That's, that's fascinating. Um, now, you know, someone may say, okay, you guys in Scotland, you know, you've got all your books and you've got all these resources and you've got, you know, phenomenal access to privilege. And yet, you know, you're, you're three, four percent evangelical. Uh, someone was, was talking recently about, about the National Church as a CFS minister, in fact, and, and an open forum was saying, we've lost the congregation every week for the last 15 years. So, so an African 
could say, you look at Latin America, you look at Africa with our, you know, we don't have the books and yet our churches are are booming. Um, they'd say, listen, uh, uh, you want to exchange your bookishness for our spiritual power? Hey, come on. Well, what would you say to that? I think that we certainly have to listen um, to the voices of place of people in places where the church is growing, um, because although growth is is difficult to define, um, there are clearly places where the church is thriving. That there's a real evangelical uh, faith, and there is a a real sense of God at work, and that has a credibility all of itself. When we see the Spirit of God working, um, it should make us sit up and uh, listen. I think that uh, the the Spirit and the Word are inseparable. Um, the, the Word of God is that which uh, cuts through all of the separation and the division and the misunderstanding and the willful, uh, deliberate rejection of God's truth. And so whichever context we're in, we have to uh, see God's word free to um, to have its impact. So work like Bible translation and so on is, is still going to be uh, so important. It's going to be essential that people have access to the Bible. But I'm often drawn back to um, the the story of the Ethiopian official um, in Acts when uh, Philip asks him, uh, "Do you understand what he's re- what you're reading?" And and so this uh, African senior African official has um, a Bible available to him. He's able to read it in his own language. He's reading Isaiah, but he's almost certainly reading it in a Greek translation, uh, which made it available to him. And uh, Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless somebody explain it to me? So as well as the leaving people with the Bible, there has to be some way of um, enabling training, learning, growing and understanding as well as growing in spiritual power. And so I think that the the church um, needs to think as a whole about how we can work in collaboration with each other, um, how we can share in the task of looking out for the health of the whole church in all parts. And of course, one of the the interesting things that's happening uh, is that mission workers from some of the areas where the church is thriving are now coming uh, to the UK and to uh, Western Europe and are bringing their uh, evangelical faith and witness to um, areas where the gospel has had an impact in the past, but has seen that wane in recent years. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that it's it's absolutely the case. We shouldn't be setting up a, a barrier between uh, the word and the spirit. And we shouldn't also be um, saying, well, because we have uh, the learning, we have privilege in this conversation. Some way or other, we have to grow relationships that allow each other to share what we have, um, where we see God at work in our context, and learn together in that process. Yeah, that, that, that's great. Moving um, swiftly on, you know, you mentioned J.H. Baving. I've got Dan Strange coming on next week. He's doing the Excellent. podcast. He's got this new book, mm-hmm. Magnetic Faith. Um, I mean, uh, uh, 
Uncle Herman w- 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 was was the poster boy for for years and years, and bathing studies are huge. But but I'm sensing in the last few months a growing interest in J. H. Baving, the nephew, yep. um, who wrote, of course, the seminal book, The Science of Mission. Can you just comment what what you think this? Uh, on, I think it's on the back of of of, of Uncle Herman's popularity. Yep. JH is, is beginning to be swept in. Can you comment on on the insights, just the, the headline insights that maybe JH Bavink has for missiology today? Because again, we're talking about you know 50, 80 year old theology now being revived. It would be a, a dangerous thing for me to comment too much on J.H. Baving if Dan Strange is going to be uh, speaking to you next week. Um, but uh, I've I've really appreciated uh, reading uh, Baving. I think you're absolutely right that um, the level of uh, serious interest in Herman Baving, who was, as you say, his uncle, um, has led to uh, a further interest. Uh, a, an offshoot of that interest. And probably that's part of a wider um, interest in uh, Dutch neo-Calvinism, um, not least due to uh, the work that's been done in Edinburgh by our friend James, but also uh, work that's been going on for many years uh, in uh, Calvin uh, Seminary in, in the States and so on. There's there's always been a heritage of uh, of Dutch work, and it's, it's strange that Herman Bavink's work uh, used to be uh, available in little bits and pieces in translations from the Banner of Truth. I remember uh, long, long ago, uh, maybe on Creation was it one of his works of it, uh, and, and never really took off. So, so there's there's some kind of uh, moment, Kairos moment, so to speak, here that that people have taken a real interest in this. I think that um, one of the interesting things that's characteristic of that whole movement is. Uh, the notion of Christ's lordship and Christ's lordship over every sphere of society. It's a very holistic view of um, life and of ministry. And I think that's been uh, very influential um, in what we might call uh, integral mission uh, in uh, a different context, that uh, the notion that every sphere of, uh, of life is under Christ's lordship has an impact on how we live uh, in our in our faith, in our churches, but also in our day-to-day lives, in our offices and schools and wherever else we may work. J.H. Bavink, I think, um, is, uh, he, he uh, wrote a number of shorter books. He doesn't have the same uh, volume of work that uh, his uncle Herman had, but he, um, there are a couple of things that, that have struck me about uh, his work. One is just how biblical he is. Uh, when I was uh, writing my paper for the, the volume that we've talked about, one of the things that, that struck me was how um, Jesus as the Lord of mission, Jesus as the one who acts uh, in the, uh, the work of making the faith, uh, the confession that Jesus is Lord, that he is risen from the dead, Jesus is, in Bavink's thought, uh, identified as the one who initiates, who motivates, who empowers all of that uh, work. And that uh, seemed to me to be uh, hugely uh, valuable. He he thinks 
biblically is a sort of biblical theological approach uh, to mission. Uh, he also has uh, a notion that um, that people are uh, shaped by the reality of sin. So um, studies on uh, Romans one um, that. Uh, that suppressing the truth in unrighteousness is not unique to uh, to Bavink, but he has a, a very realistic notion of where humanity um, is, and therefore the the necessity of God's power to break into that and uh, to bring understanding. And I think that what Dan uh, does is uh, draw on his sense that there are fundamental. Um, longings, fundamental desires, fundamental questions in each person um, that the gospel provides the the, the most uh, full and essential answer to. And uh, so he was very conscious of uh, the gospel, of the, the theological truths. He is thoroughly uh, rooted in the same theological heritage as his uncle. But he was also very conscious of context, and uh, he had served as uh, a missionary in Java, what we would call Indonesia now. Um, and uh, as he was there, he was thinking about how that gospel message can be accessible linguistically, how you make it available to the people in a language they can understand, and also how you how the gospel engages with the existing questions, beliefs, cultural processes, and how... The, he has this notion of possessio, um, possession, where Christ does not um, reduce all of the existing cultural framework to nothing. He, he, Christ will challenge some of it, but some of it he will bring under his lordship. He will bring a new um, meaning and life and holiness to it. Uh, so I think that uh, theological rootedness, that biblical uh, theological understanding of mission and that cultural sensitivity would be three areas that I can think of. Great. Okay, Alistair, I mean, time's flying by. I tend to, you know, move from one subject to the other here with a bit of a butterfly well, right. effect. Um, can you just close by, you You actually lived in an African context. Um, can you just comment on how that changed you I, i'm conscious that many of us experience change in our lives the alistair wilson i knew at 17 uh, is the same as he is today but he's also different as mm. is the david meredith way and change in my life has rarely been you know revolutionary it's largely evolutionary but can you reflect on just some ways in which living outside of europe has changed you it was a, a remarkable opportunity, a remarkable uh, providential provision um, to have that opportunity. It really hadn't crossed uh, my mind in any significant way that um, our lives might be relocated to a different part of the world. Uh, and I'm, I'm deeply thankful for that. Um, it's not necessary for every Christian to have that to um, to develop in their thinking, but I do recognise that it certainly changed my thinking, my attitudes, my my path in life to, to a significant degree. Um, I would say that one of the things that struck 
us as we went as a family was uh, the the warmth and the kindness of people that we met in South Africa, the uh, different ethnic backgrounds and heritages that they had, but we found uh, to a large extent um, a, a warmth and kindness and uh, drawing in of this uh, group of uh, very pale uh, Westerners uh, into uh, the the nation. One of my um, my uh, friends, who was a, a fellow missionary, when uh, when he saw me arrive at the airport for the first time, said he thought that he had never seen someone so pale as me. So um, so sort of bright, shining white, uh, uh, with this skin that hardly ever saw the sun. And uh, so we were clearly very different from a very different culture, very different experience, and the people were exceptionally welcoming and gracious. We also were struck by how many uh, Christian people uh, were in that uh, country, um, how many people we could expect day by day to meet who would express themselves in terms of their faith in Jesus and their love for Jesus. And uh, we sometimes found that they did that in a way that was different from what we were used to, uh, in a way that was uh, a little puzzling or a little unsettling. But I think we also learned to um, to accept a measure of difference, to accept that not all Christians say exactly the same thing or do exactly the same thing, and certainly not all the way we do it. And uh, so I learned to... Um, to try to listen. I, I'm sure that I went with uh, many of the preconceived notions about how I would bring uh, order to people's thinking and uh, and how I would uh, contribute from the riches that we had experienced in the West. I think that I learned to be more ready to listen, uh, to be more ready to consider an alternative perspective, to hear what the experience and the, the faith of the people in that part of the world was. So, um, yeah, I, I think that in practical terms, it has definitely made me more deliberate in seeking to find voices from um, Africa, uh, to in seeking to find uh, friends from different cultural contexts where they can share what they've experienced with me and that we can benefit from that. Um, so I think that uh, it, it was a hugely valuable, a hugely transformative experience. Very grateful for it. Um, I, I hope that we contributed something of value, but we certainly were changed by going to Africa. Alison, thank you so much for giving us your time. Um, if listeners want to know more about ETS, get in touch with us, especially in the mission programme. We've got something for everybody. I think we, we can help there and you can help us. Thanks uh, for sharing some of your story, Alistair. And we wish you every blessing uh, in your academic work and in your, your family work. Uh, thank you very much podcast. indeed. Pleasure. Generation Podcast folks, thank you. As, as I say, we have Dan Strange next week. He'll be talking about his new book. I hope to get James Eglinton on sometime, if I can get him. He's a bit of a celebrity these days, so it's, it's difficult to speak to his agent and see if we can get him on to talk about J.H. Uh, and, and Herman. Uh, we will talk, uh, I, I want to talk more with 
uh, majority world folk. I'd love to talk more with our African friends, our Asian friends, our Latin friends. So that's the aspirations that we have for this podcast uh, for Series 2. Thank you for sticking with us and we wish you every blessing and have a great day. Thank you. Thank you.